630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. You're so very close, but you're incorrect, unfortunately. And that means it's going to cost you $2,900. That takes you down to $400. And it takes us to Cliff. Cliff, good news for you. Both of your opponents came up with incorrect responses. And what that means is that even if you're wrong, as long as you didn't do anything foolish like wager everything, you're a cinch winner. Well, then we, uh, we don't have to see my answer, do we there, Alex? Listen, we see at the uh, tournament of champions. <laughs> We're running out of time, and we are going to have to take a look at your response. You wrote down, who are three people who have never been in my kitchen? No, I'm sorry, that's too wrong. The correct response is, what were the real names of Cary Grant, Tony Curtis, and Joan Crawford? Be that as it may, Alex. Those people have never been in my kitchen. <laughs> well, there's a classic from the amazing sitcom Cheers, Alex Trebek with Cliff Clavin. Back in the day, man, we lost a couple of great Canadians yesterday. Alex Trebek passing away at the age of, eight, uh, age of 80. Howie Meeker also passing away. He was 97. We'll remember Howie in more detail with Gord Cutler a little bit later on. Longtime television producer. Worked with Howie Meeker on Hockey Night in Canada. But we start with a little bit of Trebek. Such a legend on Jeopardy. I remember another TV cameo he did. He was very briefly in an episode of The X-Files, which was a show I loved back in the 1990s. Man, uh, what what a career for both those gentlemen as we bring in Jack Michaels, the play-by-play voice of the Edmonton Oilers on Inside Sports. Jack, uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, man, oh man, Trebek. Uh, I mean, you're, you're an American who came to Canada to work. Trebek, a uh, Canadian who went to the United States 36 years on Jeopardy and probably as, as, as much a household name in Canada and, and the United States as anybody else you'd find on the tube. Well, and a, a guy that uh, narrated the 1967 Stanley Cup playoff highlight film, among other things. I mean, he, he did have his roots in hockey. He was a big Red Wings fan and later Montreal Canadiens fan. Uh, you know, one of those guys who was a huge, huge Gordie Howe fan. So, look, uh, you know, a legend in our time. And, I, you know, a game show that – there were game shows I liked better, but I'm not sure there was a game show as respected or, you know, kind of outside the game show. I mean, that wasn't even a who wants to be millionaire. That, that game show kept to a certain standard of entertainment and never succumbed – to outside forces that might have wanted to make it more than it was. Uh, it wasn't based on personality. It was based about, about your knowledge. So it was a legitimate game show, if you could call it that. And uh, I think Alex Trebek, uh, you know, carried it with a certain dignity and class uh, that helped elevate it above any and, and all game shows before or since. Well, I, I love the way how you put that. It was certainly how he carried himself. He was the host of the show. He was on every show, but he never overwhelmed the show. His humor, I found, was very subtle and, and appropriate when it was time to inject it in that environment, which was obviously incredibly stressful for the up. contestants. You know what I mean? They never gimmicked it up. They never resorted to any of the ham-handed attempts by a lot of shows to... You know, for a while there, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire was it was kind of legit, and then it couldn't help itself, and 
and and kind of went outside the box a little bit. I, Jeopardy is one that there were no bells and whistles. You either knew the information or you didn't, and I, I had a lot of respect for it, even though, I mean, how could you not be most entertained by any time that whammy would come out with the with the uh, moonwalk and the silver gloves. I mean, the whammy might be my favorite game show character, but uh, Alex Trebek and Jeopardy, uh, definitely a, a show and a host above all else. Howie Meeker passed away as well. Now, look, Howie Meeker was an outstanding hockey player when he played. I, I think most of us probably remember him as a broadcaster. Uh, and, and I referenced Howie Meeker last week, oddly enough, when I was talking about John King working the magic wall on CNN. That's that's how I'll always remember Howie Meeker. Stop it right here. Working the telestrator, you know, rolling the tape, rolling it back, rolling it forward. Uh, I, I don't know how much you how you would have got in in the states when you were a kid, Jack. I believe he did do some work on NBC, but I'm not sure if he would have been uh, as big a part as your hockey broadcast as he was for us here. Well, I, as you know, I, I caught it at Channel 10 out of London, Ontario, and it was fuzzy, but that's how I started watching hockey and Hockey Night in Canada. So I knew Howie Meeker was, and Howie Meeker. A lot like, and you're going to laugh when I use this comparison, but he was a lot like John Madden in the sense that he used that telestrator early and often. He was one of the first guys to go do it and make it a tool, not only, you know, to, to show what was going on, but also to entertain a little bit. And, and I don't know whether, you know, John got it from Howie or Howie got it from John, but those are the two guys, when I think of the Telestrator, I mean, those are the two guys that I remember utilizing and, and, and embracing this little tool. And, yeah, they might have embraced because it, it was a little bit silly and it was a way to kind of, you know, show some flair or whatever. But it was also a teaching tool. And I think, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's what I remember Howie for more than anything else. He was the, I used to call him the Madden of the Hockey Telestrator because he used it just like Madden did. No, I think that's totally fair. And, and again, I made that same comparison last week talking about John King on CNN working their magic wall with all the results for sure. Jack Michaels joining us on Inside Sports play-by-play -play voice for your Edmonton Oilers on Ched and the Oilers radio network. Uh, dare I ask, Jack, are you getting primed for kickoff in about eight minutes or so? Actually, I'm not even sure when the game starts. The 2-5 and five Patriots against the 0-8 New York Jets. It's a titanic Monday night struggle. Yeah, between Monday and Thursday night games uh, this year, there have not been a, a wealth of good matchups. I think we've got a good one coming up. Is it Indy and someone on Thursday? But, boy, we've had uh, – We've had some rough matchups, no, and and your uh, your attitude about like misplacing the kickoff time goes right along with uh, my plans for the evening. Not exactly at the top of my list, that's for sure. I, I got to admit, Jack, and this this may shock you. I was wrong in one of my predictions. I thought Cam Newton to the Patriots, one million dollars. You know, Belichick, he's still only 31 years old. They always build a good team there. It's not all about one guy. I was thinking that's the perfect landing spot for Cam Newton. Oh, wait. Well, to me, you know, I don't know what it is. I know he's had a lot of shoulder problems, but I've really thought Cam has had a hitch in his throwing motion for the last three years. I mean, really, 
you know, ever since the ever since the Super Bowl, I, you know, he has not been the same quarterback since that loss to Denver. I, I don't I don't think he's put up anywhere near the numbers. Certainly, the wins have been you know few and far to come by. And I honestly, again, I'm no expert in terms of what a professional quarterback should look like in terms of throwing motion, but you know, I I just I just don't think he's had it, and uh, you know he's he's got to figure that out. I mean, and and more to the point is the Patriots have to figure it out in a hurry because to be honest with you, in the AFC this year, you know, five and three right now is holding down the last playoff spot. They don't win tonight, their season is over. So it's it's one of those things where. Uh, it's not just Cam Newton because I think they've gotten old and slow in a hurry, but they, you know, they've got a lot of work to do, and I'm not sure even if Cam was at full strength, they've got the weapons to do it. Yeah, Thursday is the Colts at at five and three, and I think a pretty good team against the Titans at six and two. So that'll be a, a good one on Thursday for sure. Yeah, but that's to, what I was thinking of. That's. Really, we have not had much luck on Monday and Thursday night, that's for sure. No, well, and uh, I mean, look, if, if they, they keep pushing on Sunday night football, 15th, uh, 15th anniversary of Sunday night football on NBC. Sunday night football has existed for a long time. But I remember when I moved to Edmonton in, in the early 90s and for the first time in my life had cable and had access to a lot of channels and was able to see all these NFL games, the Monday nighter was the feature attraction. And the Sunday nighter was often maybe a quirky, here's a not very good team, but they got a high draft pick last year, or here's a team that hasn't been on prime time in three or four years, and we'll put them on Sunday night against, you know, maybe a better well, team and see ESPN how they go. had the package. That's yeah. when ESPN had the Sunday night football package. It was, at that time, the first cable outlet to have the NFL on their network. And then TNT picked up a Thursday night package about a year or two after that. But, yeah, I mean, ESPN was so desperate for football. You're exactly right. I mean, you know, they might get the odd Chicago-Minnesota, but you're absolutely right. The Sunday night game never had the appeal of the Monday night. The Monday night game at that point was still ABC. Uh, There was still, you know, some leftover. You know, we all know. I mean, look, Cosell – and Danny Don made Monday Night Football, and it's never really recaptured along with the proliferation of, of cable and everything else. There's just too many options now, and and I think, uh, you know, Monday Night Football got swept up in it, and then once ESPN kind of basically ESPNized the ABC version of Monday Night Football, it really, you know, lost all of its initial steam and and the other thing is they don't have the personalities they once did. Uh, I mentioned Cosell and Danny Don for a reason. I think it's been a long time since uh, the Monday night booth has, has really found its voice. And part of that, of course, was Al Michaels' shift to NBC in the Sunday night football package. Yeah, they've just kicked, kicked off, Jack. I'll, I'll text you every time there's an exciting play, okay? Yeah, so I'll hear from you in about two and a half hours when it's over. <laughs> Hey, thanks for checking in, buddy. Hope your family's doing well. Always love having you on the show. We'll talk to you soon, okay? You don't have anything off the beaten path? That's kind of a disappointing performance by you. Usually you try to throw me a curveball or anything. You kind of played it straight. 
What are you doing, a John King impersonation? This isn't straight news. This is your show. Well, you got to talk about Howie Meeker and Alex Trebek. That's a little different. I mean, sad yeah, circumstances, know, but we are weaving a little bit. You got you got to brush up. I expect a better performance the next time I talk to you. <laughs> All right, I'll be completely bizarre next time you're on. I promise. All right, brother. See ya. That's the play-by-play voice of the Edmonton Oilers on 6:30, Jed, and the Oilers Radio Network, Jack Michaels. He is a lot of fun. We're gonna have our code word for the 6:30, Jed, ultimate virtual. Grey Cup house party when we get back. That'll be around 6.20 every night this week, except for Wednesday. We are going to have a best-of show on Wednesday. And no score early, Jets and Patriots. the 2020 Grey Cup that couldn't happen, but the ultimate, vir- ultimate virtual Grey Cup house party that did. 6.30 Chet, the double E football team, want to give one lucky listener the ultimate at-home experience delivered to your home by the football team mascot Punter. The winner will be outfitted with $500 worth of double E gear. We'll get a $100 gift card for Save on Foods, $100 worth of Skip the Dishes gift cards, plus an additional four $40 Skip the Dishes gift cards to be shared with four friends. We're going to have a code word at 6.20 every day, also at 7.20 in the morning. Now, today's code word is football. Today's code word is football. Now, you take that and you go to the contest page on 630ched.com, and uh, that's how you get in. One lucky listener will be announced as the grand prize winner during the Double E Coaches Show Next Monday, the 16th, Morley and Dave are going to announce that grand prize uh, winner. So that'll be pretty cool. So the code word today is football. I lobbied for the code word to be canned ham, but they said, Reed, you idiot, that's two words. And I sat and felt shame. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. 780-496-0063 is the number if you would like to get in touch. That is for both calling and texting. You can email inside sports at 630ched.com. Follow me on Twitter at Reed Wilkins, R-E-I-D-W-I-L-K-I-N-S. Cowtown Bob checking in. He says, Howie Beaker was brutally honest in 1972 when he was working the Summit Series. He explained how good the Russians were and how much Canadians needed to do to improve if we truly wanted to be the global hockey power, he taught Canadians a lot about the game in those days with his great analysis. Rest in peace, Howie. That is from Cowtown Bob. Rocket says, Reed, I'm sure you wouldn't be surprised by this. Not only did I go to Howie Meeker Hockey School, he was the instructor here in Edmonton at Confederation Arena on the south side. I still have the Howie Meeker Hockey School book. My condolences to the Meeker family. He was truly a mentor. Uh, to me with my hockey training growing up in the mid-80s. That is pretty cool. And Jet Solver says, on the passing of Howie Meeker, tens of thousands of us kids passed through his hockey schools, read his books, and were coached by Meeker hockey principals, and he was on the ice teaching. I vivid recall a notable, enthusiastic stick swat in the rear for Mr. Meeker to this day. 
I don't recall what skill he approved of, only that he was pleased. Rest in peace, Mr. Meeker, you improved the game of hockey. That is a text from uh, Robert, a.k.a. Jet Solver. Really appreciate those guys. Also got a text here from uh, Ian who says, uh, Hey, Reed, do you think you would be good at promoting this lowly Monday night football matchup since you did so many games with the Oilers well out of the playoffs? Okay, well, uh, I know what you're getting at. I, I, I'll tell you what, when uh, when we're doing Oilers games in the, the dark February mar- and, and marches when they're they're well out of it and they don't mean anything, I get it. Uh, certainly for fans, it wouldn't have been as exciting. There was nothing really on the line except their positioning for the lottery. As a broadcaster, there I, I approach it as there's always a story to tell, and I have to do a good job and hopefully make it a comfortable or entertaining or informative show for people to listen to, regardless of what's on the line. Certainly I understood as a broadcaster too, there's a natural attraction to uh, teams that are doing better or playing meaningful games uh, perhaps regardless of what I was doing, but I never let that affect my preparation or, or, or my enthusiasm or how I approach the job. I think it's a little different for Monday Night Football, uh, Ian, because th- that's, that's a national game. Uh, I mean, with an Oilers broadcast, at least you know there are always going to be hardcore fans that listen or they're, or even, even in, a, in, in one of some of the tough years for the Oilers, I think people are going to check in even if they've somewhat lost interest or, or they know that the season isn't going as well. You know, I still think we're going to get people who might check in, maybe listen for a little bit, not as long as they usually would. I think for a national network like ESPN in this case, it's it's probably a little harder to to hype this game because outside of these two cities, which granted the Boston area and the New York area are two of the larger markets, what do you really tell people is is on the line? Okay, a high pick, but if you're a Chicago Bears fan, do you really care where the Jets or Patriots are going to pick? So uh, I get you, I get your question for sure. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. Hockey Hall of Fame week starts next with Lanny McDonald. Great pass by Joe Newendike. He had very little time at all on the three-on-two, but got it over quickly to McDonald. And McDonald showed you a 26-year-old shot by a 36-year-old man. Well, you could always rely on Harry Neal for a great line, and that was a great goal, a huge goal, helping the Calgary Flames lift the Stanley Cup at the Montreal Forum back in 1989, scored by our... Next guest, as we kick off Hockey Hall of Fame week here on Inside Sports on 630 Chad, it is the one and only Lanny McDonald. Lanny, you're on with Reed. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, Reed. I never get tired of uh, listening to that uh, play by play. And yes, what a great line by Harry. Uh, uh, he had so many great lines over the years. Yeah, I went back and, and obviously watched that goal to, to get that audio. One thing I did not remember, Lanny, until I had my memory refreshed, you were in the penalty box just a few seconds before you scored that goal. 
I was, and being a good Catholic boy, I said about 400 Hail Marys while I was in the penalty box, uh, praying they wouldn't score. And Jamie McCowan, uh, who brought the puck out of our end, says uh, and swears to it this day that I cut him off or he would have scored the goal and been the hero. <laughs> well, no disrespect to Jamie McCowan. I, I, I think even at 36, you might have been a little bit of a better finisher. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate you saying that. Uh, it was so nice to uh, to finally find a way to win the Stanley Cup after 16 years. And uh, especially in the Montreal Forum, where no one had ever won the Cup uh, before. So what a great way to uh, finish my career and... and uh, help the Calgary Flames find a way to win. You'd obviously played them in 1986, and they'd won the series in five, so you never had those three wins where you were one victory away. What do you remember about the the mood in the dressing room and what players or coaches were saying to each other before the game? I mean, could you actually try to treat it like, well, it's just another game. we got to go out there and do our jobs, knowing if you won, that was it. You're the champs. No, uh, the mood in the dressing room was regardless of what happened. Uh, and yes, there was a game seven, and it would be at, at home in Calgary. Uh, they had this guy by the name of Patrick uh, Waugh, who uh, was the MVP in 86, I believe. And we knew we couldn't afford to go back home and play game seven. So we were going to do whatever it took, be as physical as possible on a very big team uh, in Montreal, and and that's that's exactly the way it uh, played out. And I was uh, I was so happy to be in in the lineup and uh, find a way to contribute, uh, especially uh, scoring that goal. Well, what what was your how, how many games did you play in that series? Yeah, I played game one and two. Didn't play games three, four, and five, and then got put back in in game six, and. People, uh, people need to, needed to realize we had a very deep team, and it's interesting when when you first uh, start to play in the league. Uh, unless your name is Gretzky, you're you're finding uh, your feet, uh, trying to find uh, a way to to fit in and contribute. Uh, and then at the end of your career, the same thing is happening. Lanny, you mentioned Patrick Waugh. I want to ask you a little bit about the, uh, the matchup in that series. Uh, the Canadians had uh, Bobby Smith, uh, Courtnell, Claude Lemieux, who I'm sure you guys just loved. Uh, who, 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 who really? I mean, they had they had the goaltender, obviously, but who really made them go? Like, like with five on five play, who was the one guy that was on the ice where you said, maybe even Chelios from the back end? Like, who, who was who was their guy that drove it five on five? Well, I think it was Chelios and, and Larry Robinson. Uh, they were so good at getting the puck out of their end. Uh, Lemieux was an absolute pest. Brian Scrutland uh, was in your face, uh, like driving you crazy. Uh, and then they had uh, great speed uh, with Nasland and, and Cordenal. Uh, so they they were a hard team to play against, and Stefan Riche, I believe, was on that team as well. He was big, he was strong, uh, had a great shot. Um, so we we were so uh, happy, so thankful, and what a great 
plane ride home. Uh, coming home five hours from Montreal, oh my gosh, that was that was the coolest. <laughs> Well, and obviously, I mean, that Flames team, those were the top two teams in the regular season that year. You guys were first overall. McInnes, Fleury, Neuendijk, uh, Otto, Gilmore, Mullen, I think, had 14 or 15 goals uh, in the playoffs. Might have even had more than that. I think he got got to 16. So, I mean, an incredibly deep lineup. And like you just referenced, your your role kind of changed as as you went along. Which one of those maybe next generations of players, uh, you, you know, that were kind of after you really really took control right you you were the captain but even without a letter i think there are always those guys that uh, you know assert their personality on the team a little bit who was that for the 89 flames i think it was guys like uh Neuendijk and and roberts uh and you, you look at joe Neuendijk; he wins three cups with three different teams i think it's only been done seven other uh, seven other guys have uh, been able to accomplish that uh, but Roberts, Neuendijk, Fleury, uh, Mike Vernon uh, was a mainstay uh, for a few years after that before he went to uh, Detroit. And he wins another cup in, in Detroit. And uh, people don't realize, even though El McGinnis uh, uh, at that time set a record for the most points uh, as a defenseman, uh, that that. Uh, Con Smythe trophy could have easily been shared or gone to Mike Vernon as well. Uh, Vernon outplayed Patrick Waugh in that series, and yeah, we couldn't be uh, happier that he did. Lanny McDonald joining us tonight on Inside Sports Hall of Fame week here on the show. Uh, we're going to have Phil Housley later on, Mark Howe. We're working on some other guys. Uh, Lanny, thanks for doing this. I want to I want to hit on a few things with you here. That that the, the highlight we played and the jumping off point for our conversation. That was your last goal in the NHL. Forty four in the playoffs, five hundred exactly in the uh, in the regular season. Look, I, I, I got to go back because uh, I was not quite yet born. I was born in April of 1974. So your first NHL, that was the last one. Do you remember the first one with the Leafs? Is there a story here? Oh, there is, there is a story. Uh, I'm playing with Dennis Dupere and Davey Keon, my very first game. And uh, Davey Keon scores two goals uh, in the game. We're playing Buffalo. We're beating them 4-1. to one. And I got two assists uh, in my very first game. I thought, oh, my God, this is the easiest thing in the world. And lo and behold, I think it was uh, uh, Jerry Korab or some big guy stepped out of the penalty box. I was out on the power play. I'm not sure why Red uh, Kelly had me on the power play, but I was loving it. Carried the puck out of our end just as the guy stepped out of the penalty box and he bent over and I thought, well, I got two assists in the game, probably going to be a star. I'll just jump up over the top of him and caught the, the, the bottoms of my skates on the top of his pants. I wasn't wearing a helmet. My first game uh, landed on my head, uh, got a concussion, uh, ended up four uh, days in the hospital uh, and didn't play the next three games uh, and finally got back in the lineup uh, to score uh, my very first goal in the Montreal Forum and then score my last goal in the Montreal Forum. So I guess it was meant to be. 
Well, that's a, I, I did. I did not know that. I did not know you got your first one on the form. You, you played uh, several seasons with Toronto. Obviously, a lot of people remember you with the Flames from '81 to '89. Lots of Battle of Albertas in sandwiched in the middle. Uh, the Colorado Rockies. Uh, you know, Lanny. Whether it's fair or not, a franchise that sometimes, uh, like, like you just did, elicits a laugh when it's brought up. They're now the New Jersey Devils. For people who don't remember that. Uh, I mean, look, do, do the Rockies get a fair shake? I know they had some tough years, but but tell us about that little chapter in your career. Uh, you know what? It, it was such a fun time uh, playing in Colorado. It's an absolutely sports-crazy town. We were just not very good, and and we just couldn't get, even if we would have been a 500 hockey club, I think they could have survived. The sad part about all that is, the Rockies go to New Jersey, win a couple cups. Uh, Quebec comes to uh, Colorado, wins uh, two or three cups. And poor Quebec ends up with no team and no cups. And if the Colorado Rockies could have possibly stayed there, uh, who knows? They'd have had a, a couple more cups. Uh, and Quebec would have had a couple as well. With the Flames, I know you and I have talked in the past about the Battle of Alberta, but I do want to ask it to you this way tonight. When did you realize that it was more than a hockey game or maybe that there was more hatred on the ice than perhaps you'd ever experienced before? I know there are rivalries. I know there are personal battles. But did you have a moment or a game where you were like, okay, this is some serious crap here? (laughs) Well, yeah. I got warned about it uh, as soon as I got traded to uh, Calgary. <clears throat> and never forget going into that first game. And it was it was like dead silence uh, uh, in the dressing room. And it was like, okay, you're waiting for a bomb to go off or uh, like, wh- what the heck is going on here? And, and everyone was so focused in the dressing room, you didn't have to say a word. Uh, in the morning skate, uh, guys were like, strap them on, boys. Uh, here we go. Uh, this is going to be a barn burner. And it did not disappoint. And if you couldn't get up for a game against the Oilers, you shouldn't have been playing the game in the first place. Like, it was the best. And because they had probably six, if not seven of the the top guys on that team uh, in the world at that time, uh, the Currys, the Gretzkys, the Messiers, the Andersons, the the Lowe's, the Coffees, the Grand Fear. That list just went on and on. And then they had this great coach in Glenn Sather, who those guys just took on his personality. And I remember Cliff Fletcher and Bob Johnson calling the captains in, and they said, we have got to rebuild this team uh, because we've got to find a way to beat the Oilers because we can't win the Stanley Cup if we can't beat the Oilers. And it was so sad uh, for us that that we're in the same division and, and along with Winnipeg, who for three or four years had 100-plus points and couldn't get out of that second round of the playoffs. And to have three of those teams, and what a great rivalry it was, uh, and I can't wait for those days. Uh, it 
it showed up a couple times uh, this year with uh, uh, Matthew and and uh, Zach Cassian going at it. Uh, and you know what? Uh, it's great to have it back. Uh, Lanny McDonald joining us tonight. And I, and I just got to quickly say to our listeners, Lanny, I, I appreciate people who are texting in questions for you. That's how popular you are. But I, I don't think I'm going to have time for all of them, but I'll, I'll try to sneak in as many as I can. I, I want to ask you this one, Lanny. When you watch the present-day National Hockey League, is there a player that reminds you of yourself? Uh, wow, that that is, uh, that is a good question. I, I would like to think, uh, and he's a better player than I, I was, but I, I love watching uh, Mark Shifley play in Winnipeg. He's big. He's strong. He he owns the boards. He's not afraid to uh, put his body in in danger. And if he has to run over somebody to get the puck, he's going to do it. But he's also got a great shot, and he's a great leader and very unselfish out there. Uh, I just love watching him play. Uh, I wish he was on the Flames. That that would really heat up that uh, Oiler Flames rivalry. Lanny, can you just can you just hang on through the break here? Because I want to ask oh, you a little sure. bit about your role now with, with the Hall of Fame. Appreciate it. Yeah, Lanny McDonald. Absolutely. More with Lanny in a couple minutes here on Inside Sports. Second quarter, Patriots leading the Jets 7-3. We'll keep you updated on that one, whether you like it or not. 2-5 and five against 0-8. Lanny McDonald is on the line on Inside Sports tonight. Lanny, thanks for being so generous with your time and, and sharing some memories of your great career. You're in the Hall of Fame. You're a cup champ from 89, and uh, you're on the board for the Hockey Hall of Fame. I believe you're the chairman of the board. Uh, man, picking players for the Hall, Um I, obviously, there are some obvious choices. There, there are some to get get debated. I'm sure you hear from fans and media with a lot of suggestions along the way. Tell us about that part of the job. Well, we we certainly do hear a lot. Uh, we're, we're the only uh, sports group that that doesn't name the players that are up for uh, induction into the hall. We just don't believe that's uh, fair to the players or the families, whether they get in or not. And uh, to be able to make those calls and and, uh, lucky enough to make a a call uh, to this year, uh, John Davidson and myself to two guys that uh, are have been uh, with the Oilers and, and especially Kevin Lowe after 22 years of waiting, uh, his name gets gets called. Uh, Doug Wilson, I believe, was 26 years, um, uh, or it might have been the opposite way around. It doesn't really matter to wait that long. Uh, and then have your, your name called, uh, Kenny Holland. Uh, uh, it was fabulous. And, and Marion Hosa up for the first time, as well as Jerome McGinley, and then Kim St. Pierre. Uh, I now know what Santa Claus feels like uh, when he drops off all those presents uh, uh, to all the kids. And you get to make that call. Uh, Rogi Vashon, when we called him, uh, he had waited 37 years. 
So how how cool was that? Uh, and you know what? It's hard to get in the hall, and it should be hard to get in the hall. Uh, and those guys uh, earned it, deserved it, and especially this year, uh, under the circumstances not being able to uh, celebrate uh, their induction, uh, we made the decision to not have an induction next year and honor those people the way that uh, they should be honored so that they can bring their families and friends and uh, fellow players and fellow Hall of Famers in and celebrate the right way uh, for them as well. And, and Lanny, what was the moment when Santa Claus came to you? Give us the story when you got the call, you were going into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Well, I believe it was uh, Jim Gregory and Bill Hay. And I thought it was two of my fellow uh, uh, ex-teammates pulling my chain uh, and thinking, no, is this really happening? And then when you sit back and think about it and you realize, and Bob Ganey and I played, it looked like every shift against each other from the start of our careers to the end. We both got drafted uh, in the first round in 73, played against each other for 16 years, retired together, uh, and uh, went into the hall together. And I just thought that was one of the coolest uh, things that could possibly happen, and uh, especially uh, to go in with Marcel Dion and, and, and Bob Ganey, who we all played on the 76 Canada Cup, and what a thrill that was. Yeah, for sure. Oh, Lanny, I, every time we talk, I, I always just absolutely love having you on the show. You're a great storyteller. You're so generous with your time. You're such a great representative of the Hall of Fame, and in my mind, the sport of hockey in general. So thanks for joining us tonight. I hope we can do this again soon. I really appreciate it. Well, uh, thank you very much for the invitation. Uh, please say hello to all uh, your uh, your callers and especially the people that may have uh, uh, written in answers and hopefully I gave them some of the answers today. Right on. That is Lanny McDonald checking in tonight on Inside Sports. Absolute legend in the game. We played his goal, a huge one in the 1989 Stanley Cup Final Game 6. Flames knocking off the Canadians to take the cup. Uh, we kind of went through his career, and now he's got a very important job, helping select the inductees for the Hockey Hall of Fame. And like I said, we'll have uh, other guests this week. We have Mark Howe coming up tomorrow, Phil Housley later in the week. We're working on uh, nailing down some other guests as well for Hall of Fame week here on Inside Sports. And you know what? We got a uh, we got a best of show on Wednesday, but we'll have a Hall of Famer on then too because we're going to have Serge Savard's interview that night. Okay, we got a break for the 7 o'clock news. We will remember Howie Meeker with Gord Cutler when we get back. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.